In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about thinking fast and thinking slow. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Friday. Hey, Josh, how you doing, man? I am great, Kenny. I'm missing all the brethren at university this weekend, but I will be back soon and looking forward to being with everyone. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing pretty good. Where are you this week? I am visiting with my family up in Alabama. I need uh, to help take care of a couple of things up here. So oh, we're, we're all good, though. That sounds great, man. So, Kenny, yes. we're going to turn the tables a little bit here. And <laughs> okay. I'm going to start this week's episode by asking you a question, but it's it's based on something that you and I, we've been reading. You and I, we've been part of a little book club. We've we've read some really fascinating things. Yeah. And the book we're reading this month is actually one you suggested. Yeah. Uh, it's called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Right. I don't know how you pronounce that guy's name. Daniel Kahneman? Yeah, Daniel Kahneman. Like that. Yeah. Okay. But based on last week's sermon, you and I thought that maybe what we've been reading about in this book kind of made some sense. So Kenny, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Just kind of give us a little synopsis. What are we talking about in this book? Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow is, is a book that has kind of made the education rounds for a little while. The idea behind the book is that there are two types of thinking, and he calls it system one thinking and system two thinking. And system one thinking is kind of the thinking that we do without really thinking. It's our first knee-jerk reaction. It's kind of our hot take. It's the intuition that we have. And honestly, it's it's that kind of thinking that we do without having to elaborate on something. So, for example, if I were to ask you what two plus two is, it doesn't take a lot of mental process to come up with four. You learned that, you memorized it, and it's something that you just know. But that system two thinking, if I were to ask you, what is 17 times 34? You could figure that out, but it's not something that you memorized. So you're going to have to go through a process, a system, to start figuring out what you think about an idea, which means you have to go through testing things. And by testing things, you are honestly probably more convinced of something. There is a real advantage to both of these things. But part of Kahneman's argument is that we often give too much credibility to system one thinking, and system one thinking, if if we're not careful with it, can get us into a world of hurt. Does that make sense? Okay. It does. So I'm going to ask you one more question just sure. kind of about the book, mm -hmm. but then I want to like turn this to some a little bit scriptural and spiritual application yeah. here. So like you said, system one is kind of like our intuitive hot take, you know, right off the top of our head. We, yeah. we know things. And system two is where we're having to process and think things through, come to a conclusion. Right. So why don't we just always use system two? <laughs> the short answer for that is we can't. One of the things that, that I talk about in my classes sometimes is what we call certitude. And, and really that, that idea of certitude is, is what Kahneman would, would call system one thinking. When you got in your car this morning, were you sure that you were going to be safe this morning? I honestly didn't think about it. Yeah, you probably didn't have to think about it at all. As a matter of fact, you didn't check the engine. You didn't check the tires. You didn't really check most of the things about the car. The other thing that you did not do, you did not go out and interview everybody that you'd be driving with and against. You did not inspect the roads. In other words, you had to take for granted 
that a lot of these really complex systems were going to work with you and not against you. If you had to do all of those things, check your car, check everybody else's driving, check the road conditions, you'd never get out of the driveway. So the argument that I would make is system two thinking is awfully complete and complex and good, and it requires us to do some really important things. But for the vast majority of our thinking, we can't do that much work. We would never get out of park. It does. It reminds me when I was taking um, chemistry in college, and I cannot remember what these forms are called, but they're, every chemistry lab has the set of forms for any chemical that you're going to use. You can go back and you can consult. It'll tell you everything about that chemical, you know, if it, if it does this, you know. It, it's, it's in detail. And I always remember the, the lab advisor saying, if you ever read this form on water, you would never drink water. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, you and I just, you know, we, we drink water and it's, we, and I have no idea if that actually applies to anything here. So it just, <laughs> you, it made me think of that. But here, here's what I want to get into this, this kind of spiritual application here. Kenny, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this system one thing. This, uh-huh. what we just know is intuitive. It's off the top of our head. Right. What do we call that in scripture? Well, I think we, we can we can think a, a lot about a lot of things in, in scripture. I think if you were talking about the Pharisees, it was it was their traditions. It was those things that they just kind of got into the habit of doing. And, and that's what they, if you were to ask them what religion was, they would absolutely say it was it was the Torah, it was the law, et cetera, et cetera. But if you ask them how to practice religion, what they would actually do is they would talk about their traditions. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us. We don't actually go back to the actual thing that we're supposed to be doing. We, we talk about our enactment of it. In other words, it's all that system one thinking. If, if you were to ask somebody, what is, what is Churchill Hook where, where, where you attend? Well, what you would get is somebody who is talking about their interpretation of God's laws and commands about how to worship God. And I think when, when you get back to, you know, in, in a spiritual application, of course you're going to have system one thinking. And the advantage to that is when you go to a system one thinking, you, you really get the advantage of not having to think. You don't have to. And... There, there is a real advantage to that. So you brought up the Pharisees. I'm going to read this, this quote from a well-known Pharisee in Scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 23 and in verse 1. Paul looked intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience right. before God up to this day. Yeah. Here's a man who in other places in Scripture says he is the chiefest of sinners. Yes. And yet he can sincerely say to this council of some of his former peers, by the way, Mm -hmm. and he can look at them and say, I've never violated my conscience. Yeah. When I think of that system one that, okay, this is just kind of what I know is off the top of my head, that's conscience. Yeah. If we're not careful... Conscience, because we didn't betray conscience, that leads us into those areas. Well, I never, I never violated my worldview. I never view, violated my traditions, my viewpoint, because this is what I know. But yeah. I, I missed it. What Paul had to do was that system too. That 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 knowledge, that that processing. He had to come to a different understanding, and 
thankfully for him, that came when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then, of course, <laughs> subsequent teachings and understanding from God uh, from that. Yeah. But that then changed how he would instantly react to something or view something because in some way it's like the the two systems feed on each other. The system two, what you've processed, what you've gone through, what you've come to understand, then helps you know immediately in situations, here's what's right, here's what's good, here's what I feel about this. And so Paul's conscience never bothered him, even though his thinking had to radically change. It had to undergo a complete transformation. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. You do a good job of talking about Paul. We could just as easily go to Matthew 23, and, and Jesus is going to break the Pharisees over the coals. But the first verse in there, he says, the Pharisees have placed themselves in Moses' seat. Therefore, do and observe all the things that the Pharisees tell you. I think what Jesus is saying there is the thinking is right. They're just hypocrites in, in, in the application. I think when, when you look at that, I think one of the things that Jesus is saying is they have actually thought through a lot of these ideas pretty well. It's their execution of these ideas. And really, I, if you want to put it back in Kahneman's terms, they needed to go back to systems to thinking. Because some of the things they ended up doing was different than what the law was teaching. They understood the law pretty well. They were just lousy Mm -hmm. at applying it. And I think you're, you're exactly right. Here's Paul who understands that blasphemy is a capital offense. You could kill somebody over it. And so that's exactly what Paul was doing. Except he never went to the trouble of figuring out Is Jesus really the Messiah or not? And guess what? He was. So, I mean, what Paul had to do, what the Pharisees had to do, what we have to do is go back and start examining what we think we know to find out if it's really true or not. Kenny, it reminds me of what Paul says about his countrymen. This is much later on. Paul has experienced a lot of persecution from these countrymen, from the these same people who, you know, again, he was once part of, he was, he was persecuting for blasphemy, you know, along right alongside with them. Yeah. And so they've done so much to harm him. And then he comes in Romans and he says in Romans 10 and verse one, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. Right. Well, again, they they clearly knew things about God, and that had shaped viewpoint, that had shaped reactions and actions and and all these things. But Paul says their knowledge is sorely lacking. Yeah. That's why the the whole concept of conscience is so so fascinating to me. And I am not a Latin scholar. Uh, I'm not a scholar in anything, as as everybody probably knows. But one of the things I, I do remember taking away from the Latin classes that I took was that you know that prefix con simply means with, right? And we know what science is. That's knowledge. So right. when we talk about conscience, we're talking about with knowledge. Yeah. That how I feel and how I react about something and even the the really quick moral choices that I'm making, I'm acting with my knowledge. Yes. 
And so that's why I, I think we as, as Christians and, and spiritually minded, and we're looking at how do I shape viewpoint? How do I make sure that I'm looking at things how God wants me to? Mm-hmm. The only way to get that system one in the position, or shall we say our conscience in the position that it needs to be, mm-hmm. is we have to constantly be feeding in knowledge of God. It makes me think, you know, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as, as God is telling his people at that time, you ought to always have, you know, my word on your lips and before your eyes. And, and some of the, like the Pharisees at Jesus' day, they took that to a very literal uh, way of doing things. You know, they, they were wearing it on little things on their wrists, and they had it on their foreheads. Right. So we're doing this, but they're not doing this. They're not actually taking into their hearts what God has said. Yeah. And so when we're looking at conscience, when we're looking at that very quick, how am I going to to make this judgment, in, in, you know, a snap judgment when, when a situation arises— the only way to do that is shape the knowledge base on what God's revealing here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The other thing that I would say, because we are in a church that believes pretty much the same thing, because we basically surround ourselves with people that are pretty much like us online, because we pretty much because we pretty much never have to surround ourselves with people who disagree with us, it's awfully easy to convince ourselves that we must be right. Because obviously my choices have worked out pretty well. As Christians, we are really called to get out of echo chambers, not to get into echo chambers. First Thessalonians 5.21 is, is a passage that, that, that is kind of thrown in there. In my opinion, it's, 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 Paul does this a lot where he will have several really quick instructions. And, and what he says in, in 5.21 is, test all things, hold fast to what's good. And I think the argument that he's making there, and I, I think it's it's something that Christians would would do well to do. Every once in a while, you want to take the, one of those ideas that you just are so sure is perfect and test it. There's an old quote from, from Mark Twain, and I love this quote. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And I think it's important that every once in a while, if we are in a room, with too many people that agree, we need someone to play devil's advocate. We need someone to push back on something to see if we really know what we think we know. Again, system one thinking occasionally needs to some pushback. And in, in other words, re-engage system two to make that, sure that system one is actually working for you. It's something that came to my mind... I think the privilege and the benefit we have of being in a church is, and thankfully this is true at university, there's a broad spectrum of of ages, of maturity in that church. Yes. What is an opportunity that we need to be availing ourselves of? That echo chamber oftentimes is is delineated along lines of age. Yes. Yeah. I can get with my peer group <laughs> and we can discuss whatever the issue is. We can all come to a decision, and if, you know, let's say the poor elders make a decision that, you know, we didn't like, and, you know, we're all the same mind of this because, you know, we clearly are right because we all agree. Yeah. Maybe if we spend a little time with those who are older than us. Yeah. Maybe if we, uh, on whatever the issue is, started seeking some wisdom 
in finding out well, why is it that that you view this this way? Why why is it this important to you? I'll give you an example of my my history um, when I was in college, and so I was you know one of these uh, know it all. Well, I guess I still am one of those guys, aren't I? Um, <laughs> There was there was something that had come up in the in the local church when I was in college, and this was never a rude discussion. But I had just questioned the elders about it. I said, "Hey, I don't understand this." Never anything rude. It was perfectly cordial conversation. But one of the elders had just said to me, "You'll understand when you're older." Mm-hmm. Kenny, I don't even necessarily remember what the issue was. Right. I just remember. When my peer group heard that, they almost lost it. What does he mean? You know, you'll understand this when you're older. Because, again, <laughs> we're all the same age. We, we, we know we can handle everything. I don't know what the situation was. Chances are he was right. Yeah. That there, there were some things and some, some, some knowledge that I just didn't have. And it's not because I couldn't hear it with my ears, but just because I haven't experienced things. And that's another aspect of knowledge that I don't even know we have time to talk about. But it's not just the, the things that we can hear and know in our minds. It's what we've lived through. It's what we've, you know, we've experienced in life. I had to come to understand that I did not know it all then. My knowledge base still needed to grow. And God gives us the opportunity for that to happen in a local body if I will take advantage of it. There's a lot of wisdom. Not all the wisdom is from those who are older. There's some wisdom that you and I are gathering from kids right now because they're living in a world that's alien to us. And so I want to help them navigate this world. But first of all, I have to understand this world. So I have to learn it from them. You and I also read that book. It was Edwin's suggestion, which was hold on to your kids. In that book, one of the arguments that they made was, Uh, Your kids need to have a strong attachment to you as their parent rather than their peers. Part of that argument really goes toward what it means to have a truly intergenerational church. In my other podcast this week, I I have a conversation with, with Edwin and Phil Robertson about exactly this point. And the argument that we make in there, and I think pretty forcefully, the person who takes over or acts as the person who does a lot of influencing of the youth should not be a youth. The problem with people and your peers is they don't know any more than you do. I don't know why, but within the last hundred years, we have stigmatized asking older people for their perspective. We have gotten to the point where we feel like, well, they never had an iPhone and they've never had computers and my goodness, they don't even know what social media is. Their opinions have absolutely no relevance whatsoever. Hogwash. Mm -hmm. The fact is they have figured out how to treat and mistreat people long before we did. If we would just ask them, if we would just start picking their brains about things that they've had to deal with, far longer than we've been alive, we might just learn something. Amen. Well, Kenny, I don't know that we're going to do any more book reports on this podcast like we've done today, <laughs> but I will so conclude with our standard question. Kenny, sure. how does this help help us in our upward calling? I think system one and system two thinking is something that can only help Christians. When you understand that many of your reactions 
are knee-jerk reactions, and you cannot get away from that. And that does serve you well often. But there are times when you need to re-examine things, especially when somebody you love is involved. Then maybe we should not take it so personally, and maybe what we should do is start examining some of the ideas, divorce personality from it, and start looking at issues. Realize that anybody who is basically conflicting with you, they're conflicting with you for probably one or two important reasons. It might be that their ego is involved, or it might be because they love you so much, they want to preserve a relationship with you. So they're willing to get involved in an issue where you disagree. Until you're proven otherwise, just assume the second one. And open up the issue and love them enough to think your way through it again. That brings us right back to what we were talking about last week. Yeah. These disagreements aren't new. No. Difference in viewpoints aren't new. No. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're just navigating... Maybe new issues, but not the fact that uh, we we've had disagreements and we we have to broaden our our knowledge and, and ability to help each other. Yes, and by the way, it doesn't mean that you are wrong. It doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that that you can't agree to disagree. Yeah, love each other enough where you're just going to say, you know what, I can live with this. I. I can live with the disagreement. I can change my mind. And, and, and you know what? We, we can still get to heaven together. Kenny, I enjoyed this. Let's do it again next week. Oh, indeed, indeed we will. And what are you going to be preaching this next time? Okay, so this next Sunday, I am. we're in the idolatry series. We're, we are coming to a conclusion. I don't know this <laughs> is going to be the last one. There may be one more to follow this. But this is one, I, like I mentioned in our last episode, I, I've been working toward this the entire time. And it is you become what you worship. And there's, Ooh. again, there's a thrilling aspect of that. Yeah. If I'm worshiping Jehovah God, and there's a really tragic aspect of that if I'm worshiping something else. I love that. I think that that's a, a fitting end to a, to a really good series. I've enjoyed this. So, Thanks, okay. Kenny. We'll be talking about this next week, right? All right, sounds good. All righty, Sam. Talk to you later. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. We have all our information at universitychurchofchrist.org, and we listed the sermon we reference in today's episode in the show notes. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.